Today, Terry Wu, neuroscientist and expert in neuromarketing, is going to tell us how emotions affect our seemingly rational buying decisions, to what extent we use our free will when shopping online, and how retailers can use neuromarketing insights to improve customer experience. Don't forget to subscribe, like, comment or share this episode and let us know what you think on LinkedIn or your chosen platform. Everybody. Welcome to another episode of CX Insider. I hope you all started the new year with achievable resolutions and powerful mantras. Today, Louis and I are going to speak to Dr. Terry Wu about neuroscience and its application in marketing and customer experience. Dr. Terry Wu, a specialist in neuromarketing, started his own online marketing company almost 20 years ago. Before that, he had received his PhD in neuroscience. Hello, Terry. How are you today? Hi, uh, Valentina and Louis. I'm doing well. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. Cool. Thank you for joining us. Terry, tell us about your business journey. As far as I know, most people don't study neuroscience and then pursue their career in marketing later on. What made you choose this career path from studying neuroscience for several years to marketing? Well, I'll keep the long story short. I after I finished my degree in neuroscience, I came to Minnesota for a job at the University of Minnesota. While I was working on the job, I came up with the idea that I want to kind of have a business on the side. Because back then, my boss, he is 15 years older than I am. I thought if I, you know, later on in my career, if I didn't have this job, I don't, didn't want to go out and look for another job. I thought a business on the side would be a backup plan. And then I just kind of, by chance, got into marketing. And marketing and neuroscience didn't really have any common language back, back then. But gradually, I kind of uh, came to the understanding that if you want to bring, bring people into your online channels, like websites, you have to make a convincing persuasion to encourage or motivate people to buy. And how do you do that? This word neuroscience actually came in handy. And since, you know, marketing is really, at the end of the day, is about consumers' decision-making. And neuroscience also studies human decision-making. So when you put the two together, you get neuromarketing. That's the perfect marriage of neuroscience and marketing. And neuromarketing really enters, try to understand consumer decision-making and how to influence their decisions and how do you create a good experience for your customers? Mm, that's interesting. I see the I see the relation between the two. And what would you say? What would you say is the biggest difference between neuromarketing and the traditional marketing practices? Traditional marketing primarily is based on understanding consumer behavior, based on interviewing consumers, asking them questions, using focus groups using consumer surveys, they have this basic assumption that consumers understand why they buy what they buy. But that's actually not true because according to neuroscience and medical studies, we know that most decisions we make, including buying decisions, are made unconsciously. When you make unconscious decisions, it's almost impossible to trace back to the reasons you made you have when you make those buying decisions. So there's a serious flaw in traditional marketing using 
these techniques like consumer surveys, focus groups, and uh, consumer interviews to understand consumer decision-making. But with neuromarketing, it takes a step back and try to start from the brain to understand how the brain makes decisions and what actually influences those decisions. I give you an example. You go to a supermarket here, a grocery store. Normally, they have a bakery. But the thing is, why do they have a bakery inside the store? Because having a bakery is very expensive. It takes up a lot of space, and it, it requires you hire employees to manage the bakery. And at the end, you just sell a few loaves of bread and sell some cookies. You're not going to make much money out of it. But why do these grocery stores put a bakery inside? It's simply because when you have a bakery, you have the fresh scent, fresh smell of baked goodies like fresh bread or fresh cookies. When people walk into the grocery store, when they smell the fresh scent, guess what? It triggers a hunger feeling. When they feel hungry, guess what? They buy more. This is all about the science. You understand how the people's decisions are influenced by different senses. One major sense of influence is the scent because from nose to the brain to the decision center of the brain, you're only about one synapse away. It's a direct path. So this is actually about understanding how consumers make decisions and what influences the decisions. Instead of just trying to ask them, oh, why did you buy more? Nobody was going to tell you, I bought more because I smell the fresh bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it seems to me that like neuromarketing is basically saying there's no such thing as rational, as a rational customer. Like customers don't enact that they're buying behavior rationally. Is that true? It's partially true. Sometimes we do make rational decisions. It really depends on what you buy. Just imagine, say, I have a, I want to buy a laptop computer. I, I have decided that I'm not, I'm going to set aside $500 for this. And the most, the highest priority is I want to have enough memory. I need to have a fast processor. And I decide just based on those criteria. And those criteria, if I find something that meets my criteria, I'm going to make the buying decision. That decision is more about like a more on the rational side than the emotional side. You really decide just based on the processor speed, based on the memory you have, based on the budget you have. You set a bound, you set some boundaries, and then you make decisions. But here an example, this is more of an emotional decision. Do you use, say, if you want to buy buy a uh, mobile phone, smartphone? Are you going to buy Apple's phone? You're going to buy an Android phone. That has a lot to do with decision. You know, that decision has a lot to do with their people's emotions. Well, if you if you're really loyal to the Apple brand, there's no way someone can talk you out of buying um, uh, an Apple iPhone. You will definitely want, want to buy an iPhone, no matter how expensive it is. That decision is more kind of irrational because a phone is a phone, but sometimes that phone becomes a status symbol. Yeah, I feel like if I use an iPhone, I feel more creative. I feel like I have a better taste. I have a better class. The same thing goes with buying cars. Why do cars, some people buy spend you know $60,000 or $100,000 to buy a BMW versus $20,000 buy a Toyota? It's not really just about the car because both cars can take you from your home to a grocery store. But if you drive a BMW, 
you want to drive from your home to your country club, you want to hang out with your friends, that's give you the status. Driving the car is not about the car. It's about the experience. It's about how you feel. This is really how people make decisions. They make decisions. One thing is they can make decisions based on the rationality. The other thing is they make decisions based on their feelings. When they make decisions, decisions based on their feelings, their decisions tend to be more irrational. Speaking of a rational and emotional customer and behavior, when it comes to online shopping, for example, people sometimes experience this sudden urge or sudden need of buying something immediately at the given moment. And this is something called impulsive buying behavior. And we have noticed this type of consumer behavior has become very frequent in online retail since the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, many retailers actually even use this principle of scarcity or celebrity endorsement, which leads to this impulse to purchase. Do we, my question is, do we know what is happening in a consumer's mind when they are impulsively buying items? Yes. Let me give you a kind of a quick introduction on how the brain makes decisions. The simplest way to conceptualize the human decision-making process is to think that the brain has two systems. One system is the rational brain. The other system is the emotional brain. The rational brain is right inside the forehead. We call this part of the brain the frontal cortex. The frontal cortex is heavily involved in reason and logic. We have the rational brain, we have the emotional brain. The rational brain becomes very active when you're solving a math problem, learning a new language, or writing a business plan. The rational brain has another very important function. That is, it controls our impulses. The impulse control is what really separates us from all other animals. When this part of the brain becomes active, we become more rational. Neuroscience studies have shown that when we're normally when we're making decisions, the rational brain and the emotional brain become very active. So our decisions are the results of a complex interplay between the rational brain and the emotional brain. But when we're under stress during this pandemic, we're fearful, we're stressed, we're scared. And guess what? When you're under strong, strong stress, the rational, the emotional brain can turn off the rational brain. You become more emotional than rational. When you do the online shopping, and we saw this behavior about maybe over half a years, half a year ago, during the, at the beginning of the pandemic, when people start buying toilet paper, that was a very irrational decision because toilet paper does not protect us from the virus, and toilet paper there was no supply shortage of toilet paper, and also crowded places were not where you want to be at the beginning of the pandemic. But people bought stop toilet paper simply because they were scared, they became very irrational. And they follow the crowd and the crowd decision make them feel safe. They decide based on how they feel instead of how they think. When it comes to online shopping, impulsive online shopping during the pandemic, we're in a heightened emotional state. When we experience intense emotions, our emotional brain can turn off the rational brain we become less rational. That's why you see during the pandemic, people's buying behaviors become more impulsive simply because the rational brain very often goes offline when we're under stress. 
I I see, I see. That's very interesting. In our last conversation, you mentioned YouTube being the new Amazon. Looking into the future, 2021, do you think that live stream or video could become new channels for customers to do shopping? It can be. Live stream shopping has not really taken off. Here in the United States, we have QVC and HSN. They they are the on, they are the TV shopping channels. You watch the TV shows. They schedule different products at different time slots, and then they demonstrate what the products can do, and you buy them. The, the live stream shopping has not really caught up here in the United States, but I can see why it can be um, a very popular, very useful way to uh, persuade cons- customers to buy. Because if you go to Amazon, the shopping experience is completely interaction between a customer and a website. There are no people out there showing you, demonstrate to you what the product looks like, how does it fit in your life, even how big it is, and what it looks like holding in your hand. But by having this live stream shopping, video shopping on the internet, you can create that missing piece of the shopping experience. And you tell people, this will look like, this is how big it is, and this is what it feels like when you hold it or when you use it. That experience can actually be make it easier for people to make decisions. Since the beginning of the actual COVID-19 pandemic, quite a few reports have been published um, saying that uh, many people find themselves in a difficult financial situation and this leads them to a very distressed state of mind. And accordingly, banking institutions are worried that this will lead the customers to make poor financial decisions. Why, Terry, why do you think that consumers tend to make poor decisions when they are stressed? As I talked about earlier, we have the rational brain, we have the emotional brain. These two systems interact with each other a lot. But the emotional brain actually is the boss in making decisions. About 95% of our decisions are all driven by our emotions and impulses. Our emotions have served at least two purposes. One purpose is to maximize our pleasures, and the other one is to minimize our pain. So the emotions play a big role in our decision making. When we're stressed, our emotional brain really com- comes in as a predominant decision maker. What it does really from the brain perspective, it turns off the rational brain. The rational brain simply, the activity in the rational brain, when you, if you do the brain imaging studies, you can see when people are under stress, they, their rational brain is turned off. There's a very low level activity. When there's low level activity, guess what? You don't make rational decisions. So I'll give you an example when the, the rational brain has lower activity. When we're dreaming, where our dreams are so weird and so strange, we do really you know, crazy things. When people are dreaming, the activity in the rational part of the brain, the frontal cortex, is very low. So you don't have any control of our decisions anymore. You don't have any control or rationality anymore. So when we're under stress, our emotions tend to take over. And when our emotions tend to take over, we make bad decisions. 
I'll give you an example. This is kind of not related to the financial situation, but this re example really demonstrates what happens when people are under, under stress. Their decisions can be very strange. This study actually looked at how the name of the hurricane can really influence the casualties of the hurricane. Here in the United States, we just had a very busy hurricane season. I'll give you this example. Imagine two hurricanes, Hurricane Adam and Hurricane Amy. They are the same, they're in the same category. They carry the same amount of rainfall. They're heading to the same uh, destination. Do you think Hurricane Adam or Hurricane Amy is going to kill more people? I reckon Amy is going to kill more people because people are going to take it less seriously than Adam. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because really, seriously, Hurricane Amy is going to kill three times more people than Hurricane Adam. Is when people are preparing for hurricane, they're very stressed. And when they're stressed, they don't make rational decisions. They need to make the decision whether to stay put or evacuate. That decision needs to be based on the strength of the hurricane, the amount of rainfall, the location of a direct hit, and some many other factors. But instead of making decisions based on those factors, they make their decisions based on, oh, if that hurricane is, at, is a, named after a girl, that hurricane must not be very strong. Oh, no. And then this is why they, then they don't evacuate. When they don't evacuate, guess what? A hurricane, on average, a hurricane named after a girl kills three <laughs> times more people than a hurricane named after a boy. This is actually when people are under stress. They just make these decisions not based on any reason or logic. Wow, okay. So in future, you would recommend that uh, the people who name the hurricanes should call them names like Hercules <laughs> to sort of strike a bit more fear into to people <laughs> but i that study actually came out about 10 years ago but as far as i know the national weather center still named hurricanes alternate them um between boys names and girls names Nothing mm, and they work through the alphabet don't they no they um, yeah they go for the alphabet yeah remember um in the here in the u.s the biggest the most damaging hurricane in the recent history is hurricane katrina <laughs> That's a girl's name. <laughs> Very true. Very true. That's that'll be quite interesting to see if they uh, act on that research at all. Um, earlier, sorry, sorry to change the subject, but earlier you were talking about sensor, sensorial and emotional experience. Our previous guest on the show was actually a specialist CX researcher called Jason Sitt. And he told us there are three primary dimensions to customer experience, uh, in-store and online. And it's one is pragmatic experience. So I'm guessing that relates to the uh, objective rational part of the brain. But there, more importantly, there's sensorial and emotional experience. And like you said, that primarily drives consumer decision-making. How can neuromarketing help improve customer experience and reduce this stress and provide a more positive sensorial and emotional experience for shoppers? When shoppers make decisions either in-store or online, they're facing this really unconscious fear. That fear is, what, if I, what happens if I make the wrong decision? If you shop in a store, you, the store, say, is just like five miles away from your home, you always have this kind of a fallback 
plan that if this doesn't work out, I'm just going to swing by and drop it off, return it. I get my money back. But when it's on online, you don't have anybody to talk to. You cannot see the product. You cannot feel the product. You don't have any people to help you make decisions. This is actually the tremendous hurdle in persuading people to buy online. But Amazon has done a really good job in reducing this decision anxiety, what I call the decision anxiety, that's the decision of making the wrong decision. No, the fear, well, I call the decision, the decision anxiety is the fear of making the wrong decision. Amazon has done a tremendous job in reducing this anxiety. That's why people buy it. I'll give you an example. Amazon is very good at using crowd influence to influence the shoppers. What is crowd influence? The reviews, the ratings, the number of questions asked, and the bestseller labels. When you go to Amazon, you see a product you want to buy, and the Amazon going to immediately show you, going to immediately show you how many the ratings of the product, how many reviews this product has, and whether this product has a best-selling uh, label or Amazon's choice label. Also, Amazon has another small nudge is how many questions have been asked or answered for this product. The more questions answered, that means more people are intrigued, are interested in buying this product. Those are all subtle nudges to really motivate people, to tell people it's safe to buy this product. And then also the other thing is the crowd influence is not just about the size of the crowd. It's not just about, say, this product has 3,000 reviews versus the other one has maybe 300 reviews. Amazon recently came up with this new te technique to persuade people to buy. This really technique ba is based on who's in the crowd, not just about the size of the crowd. I'll give you an example. I'll give you a study to, to illustrate why who's in the crowd has a very strong influence on our decision making. We're actually born with this tendency to follow the people who are similar to us. I'll give you one example. Say there's a young child, he's four years old, and his parents decided we need it's time for a, for us to adopt a dog. And but they bring a dog back home and guess what? This little boy is scared of the dog. He cries all the time. He cannot really stand getting close to the dog. The, pet, the parents are very puzzled. Well, this is a very friendly dog. Well, the parents have three choices. First choice is you send the dog back to the shelter. Second choice, you let the boy cry until he gets tired of it. The third option is you set up a play date. You get all the dog-loving friends coming over to your house and have all these boys and girls of the same age to play with a dog. Within probably about 20 minutes, this little boy is going to warm up to the dog and that's going to eliminate his fear of the dog. 80% success, success rates in getting rid of uh, young children's fear of dog. This is really powerful because the boy really is, if you as adult, you can play with the dog. So, hey, you know, it's safe to play with the dog. No, the boy looks for people who are similar to that to him. Those people are the young boys and young girls, the same age. So this actually illustrates that we're not just following the crowd uh, blindly. We follow the crowd who are similar to us. Amazon recently came out with this review nudge. 
in the review, Amazon doesn't just say, oh, here's the reviewer's name, but it also tells you where the reviewer is from. This reviewer is from the UK or from Ireland or from the United States. Amazon try to show you the reviewers who are close to you. I would not be surprised half a year from now or six months or three months from now, Amazon is going to show you this reviewers, but this reviewers is within um, 100 miles from you where this reviewers is from the same county or the same state or the same city from you. So Amazon really try to use this little nudge to tell you, okay, you don't just follow the big crowd. You really, what's really matter is who's in the crowd. Use the crowd influence to reduce that anxiety you have when you make decisions. Absolutely. Yeah, Amazon have definitely done a great job with social proof, providing social proof to customers. And it's almost like they're taking the free will away a little bit during your shopping experience because there's also the feature customers who bought this frequently bought this so mm-hmm. would you say that amazon has designed yeah any arc the customer journey for us yes amazon well i always kind of ask people well I sometimes i ask people do we have free will this actually relates to the amazon experience and people sometimes they're puzzled like why does any does it have anything to do with amazon the question I want to ask people is, the last time you bought anything on Amazon, did you make that decision yourself or did Amazon make that decision before you went to Amazon? Amazon has done a tremendous job in helping you make decisions. Amazon almost made this decision for you. When you go to Amazon, Amazon almost can predict which product you're going to buy based on your shopping habit, based on the crowd influence, based on many factors. Amazon almost has a very high chance of predicting which product you're going to buy. And Amazon will show you that product. So Amazon really took away your free will in your decision making. And But the thing is, the good, the good thing is Amazon reduced that decision anxiety. So you don't have to really spend five days or five weeks to make that decision. Amazon reduced that anxiety so you can make that decision within five minutes. So Amazon actually gives you a good experience in making decisions in buying a product this is actually what i always tell people amazon doesn't sell you anything but amazon helps you buy everything that's a big there's a big difference between the two absolutely yeah i can see that for sure uh, amazon is, is is obviously an amazing platform and it's going it's going to continue growing but playing devil's advocate i don't think it's going to replace the high street and especially for customers like the aging population who are not as technologically adept. So as mentioned earlier, if, if, a neg- if there's a negative emotional response during a shopping experience, it can be quite stressful. And for the aging population, they, they will struggle to remember things and they, and they will struggle to analyze facts, and features and benefits. Do you think there's a way that retailers can better design their services to facilitate a more more relaxing experience for these older people? Absolutely. The thing is about helping older people to adapt to the new way of shopping online is to make the shopping experience simple. Because for people who are older age, their mental acuity is on the decline. They really cannot think very rationally. They don't remember things very clearly either. But if you try to streamline the process, make it as simple as possible, 
and make and again it's just really about reducing their decision anxiety if you can reduce their decision anxiety make it easy to buy make it easy to decide this is going to help them to make decision faster and easier and create a better experience absolutely one thing i i once uh, shopping experience that I personally think is amazing is the the Apple experience, as people call it, because it's wonderfully simple and there's so much sensory uh, opportunity to feel the products. And I think retailers could learn a lot from that. Yes. Okay, so we're running we're running out of time, unfortunately. Terry, what would be your advice for retailers wanting to reconnect with their customers virtually or use technology to? help reduce stress for the customer especially in in the current current time it's a great question there are many things to talk about but i want to kind of focus on one thing is how to reduce their decision anxiety the decision anxiety is about what people have control or what they don't have any control when you when you give people control they feel like okay i can make decision make the decision on my own i can decide what best for me when you one way to reduce decision anxiety is to give customers choices. You give them a couple of choices, and then also you have the nudges built into it. These are the things. Well, in the retail environment, it can be online, it can be um, in store, it can be kind of a mix. You buy online, you pick up on and um, in the store. You give them options. When they have options, they feel like okay, I can. I'm in the decision i'm in the driver's seat i can decide what what's best for me instead of just have giving them one choice one choice that normally creates some unconscious anxiety and they tend to not to buy if you just have one choice study have shown that if you give people customers just one choice very likely they're not going to make the decision but if you give them maybe two or three choices it's a lot easier to, for customers to make decisions but one thing is this there's no free lunch here you have to be mindful. You don't want to give them too many choices. Too many choices that often lead to decision paralysis. And they simply cannot, they get overwhelmed. They simply cannot decide how many, which one is the best choice for me. If you look at Amazon, Amazon does a very good job. If you go do a research, um, say you want to buy a computer, Amazon normally shows you this computer. And then if you scroll down, Amazon going to, do the side-by-side -side comparison of maybe a total of three to four computers. Amazon allows you to give you the chance to see other choices, but Amazon does not give you 20 choices. Say, oh, these 20 computers are all meet your desire, meet your requirements, but Amazon only gives you maybe anywhere from two to four choices. Give customers choices is giving customers choices is a great way to reduce anxiety, reduce their stress. Amazing. They actually done the study, um, the study, really interesting study. This had been mentioned in several books, is Williams-Sonoma. In the 1980s, Williams-Sonoma introduced the first bread-making machine in the U.S. market. And they came up with just one model. It didn't sell. It didn't sell very well. And then people back then, they didn't know what this was and didn't know whether this was a good value. And then Williams-Sonoma did something very clever. But it's kind of counterintuitive. They introduced a bigger, more expensive model. The bigger, more expensive model did not sell very well at all, but the original model started flying on the shelf. What they did was 
they create a reference point so people can compare prices. And the other thing is when they, you give people choices, they say, okay, between the two, the decision used to be whether I should buy this one or not buying it. Now the decision is whether I should buy the smaller one or the big one. So you shift their decision from buying versus not buying to buying which one. That's actually a very kind of a clever shift in their decision-making process. And that's what about giving people one additional choice so they can decide which one I'm going to buy instead of whether I'm going to buy this or not. It's incredible to see how the subconscious mind works when the consumer has three or one or four options to choose from. I've got one last question for you, Terry. You've recently launched a brand called Why the Brain Follows, focusing on leadership development. And on the actual website, I found a statement saying that traditional leadership is in crisis. How exactly would you say it is in crisis? In the, at least in the U.S., during the pandemic, leadership is failing at all levels. From the top to bottom, from the White House, to the city government, to the school board, people have no idea how to lead. This is the time with the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, was really a good test of uh, leadership skills. But the leadership development, this huge industry, really traditionally has been based on mainly anecdotal evidence and personal experiences and personalities. This is, there, I, I got into this leadership uh, study research is simply because there are a lot of parallels between sales and marketing and leadership. In the old days, sales and marketing, the industry of sales and marketing is always also based on personal experience, anecdotal evidence, and personalities. But there was very little science in marketing and sales, and there was little science in leadership. That's why I made a shift into leadership. I felt like there's a lot of decision-making science that can be applied to leadership decisions. And if you understand those decisions and how to make the decisions more impactful, that's how you lead better. This I made a shift from uh, why the brain buys to why the brain follows. Thank you, Terry. I'm afraid we have to finish this episode, but for anyone who is interested to find more information about neuromarketing and what Terry does, check out the websites neuromarketingservices.com or whythebrainfollows.com or connect with Terry on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, Terry, for joining our podcast today. It was great to have you here. You're very welcome, Valentina and Louie, and hope you guys stay well and safe. Thank you for joining us.